Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard Creative Team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. All right, we have quite the guest for you all today. We have Gil Schaefer. He's an award-winning architect, a best-selling author, and a respected voice in contemporary traditional architecture. He's one of the most sought-after architects of the last two decades because of his authenticity, his impeccable style, his practical approach to designing the house of your dreams. This month, he releases his third book, Home at Last, Enduring Design for the New American House. Gil, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you guys again. Before we get started, I just have to gush about your book. I love your writing. It's so insightful and it's so obvious how much care and attention you put into the actual writing of it. Mm. And I know that most people think that writing a design, the writing in a design book is like a throwaway. Um, I personally couldn't disagree more. Usually I take notes as I'm writing, but reading this, reading Home at Last, I like was so absorbed and consumed that I just, like I would forget to take notes or like write anything down, so. Oh, well that's- You're a beautiful really, writer. Really yeah. kind of that, kind of you. Um, I think, you know, I too, when I started this thing with books, I too thought the text was a complete throwaway. I thought, well, no one reads that, so who even cares? And then I sat down to do it and I, I work with a wonderful writing partner, Mark Crystal. Um, and I realized that it's an opportunity to actually to say something and and to dig deep into your own psyche and and experiences and try to express something. So anyway, I I uh, I, I took it really seriously, and uh, and I still do. And um, so thank you for appreciating that part of of the book process. Oh my gosh, seriously, I I was messaging Caroline as I was reading, and I was like, I've never been so engaged in an introduction. <laughs> I, I mean, just to to start there, like you know, you really talk about your your personal growth, um, both between the time of your last publishing and now, and even from the pandemic mm-hmm. to now. Yeah. Um, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about about what you feel has been your your points what, what of growth. Happened? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, my my publisher Charles Myers, who's the head of Rizzoli, he he said to me, you know, don't do another book until you have something new to say, which I thought was great advice, you know, rather than just cranking out books, you know, you, you need to have something to say that's going to be a little different. And, and an unusual think, advice from your publisher, who's like, <laughs> I want more out of you, best-selling well, it's, author. it's wise advice, I think. <laughs> you know, it's, it's quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so I think, you know, as I sat down to... Uh, write this book. I thought, okay, well, what is different? Well, this sort of. <laughs> there's certain things that are the same. We, we've been doing work, and the work has hopefully it's a, a there's a thread through all of it. Um, but uh, you know, 20 years on and doing with my having my company and with a lot of wonderful people working with me, um, I thought, well, this is a kind of nice way to kind of you know wrap up a th- <laughs> final third of the work that we've done over the last 20 years. Um, but then what's different is, of course, um, we had a pandemic, which we all know about, and that was sort of uh, 
completely life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I got married right before the pandemic, um, or, you know, in the fall before the pandemic. Uh, and then that was life changing personally for me mm-hmm. and, um, and, uh, and really kind of an amazing, and then to go into the pandemic where we all were sort of hunkered down with our families when we, if we had, if we had families and we could do that. And, that was amazing experience because when we, when I first got married, I was working full bore. My wife was working full bore and we were kind of, you know, we didn't really have family dinners so much because Mm -hmm. we both had to work late or, or, you know, she, she would eat early with the kids and I would work late. And and then suddenly the pandemic happened and we had to completely rethink, or we, we had the opportunity, I should say, to rethink everything about the way we interact as a family. And we started to have family dinners and, just as a as a for instance and anyway it was a great for me as a person who'd been single for a long time and not and worked with a lot of families but but really had the kind of wonderful crash course on okay you know this is not academic now this is real you know like Mm -hmm. what what goes on what do you have to contend with and it was great it was great and so there was a lot of growth from that um as and as you know in life i i think one of the great things about life if you can do it well is always be challenging yourself to things that make you grow. And this was certainly a big one um, and a wonderful one. And so that was a wonderful adventure. And so that, that kind of became a kind of backdrop for what I talk about in the book. And I work a lot with families, but I, I hope that, you know, every year that I work, every year longer that I work, I, I learn more and I'm hopefully get to be a better architect each, each year as a result of the experiences. So long answer to a quick question. <laughs> no, it was it was a beautiful introduction and I too was like this is like so touching and also interesting just because what you were saying like you now had sort of like a more practical I guess um insight into what you're designing for the families, you know, you're you're designing for because yeah. as I think we all know like the architecture is so tied to the function that it's exactly. important. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and I think you learn, you know, like it's easy to be um, sort of rigid about, you know, what you, the parameters of things. And then I, I think what and any parent knows <laughs> is that life is messy and, and you need mm-hmm. to let those, those edges get blurry so that you can live life and get through it, you know, and, and that's mm-hmm. a great uh, architects were all about like, the lines, right? <laughs> Having things work out perfectly, but of course, life is not always like that. So it's a it's a nice it's a nice challenge to, the, to those, those yeah. uh, preconceptions. Well, in, in one of the first houses, I think you talked about <clears throat> how designing a forever house is kind of a unique challenge. I imagine you, there's a lot more pressure just because you know that word forever. It's not only I mean, you're always designing a house that you want to be forever. Like you don't you want hope. someone to tear it down. But this is a forever house in the sense that the family plans to be there yeah. through lots and lots of stages. So yeah. I'm wondering if you can kind of tell us like what maybe you take into consideration for a forever home that you wouldn't maybe in another instance. Right. Well, if someone's you know going to build a house and then in five years they're going to sell it and move somewhere else or do something different, you might think differently about certain things uh, for sure. I think when it's a forever house, you think about how 
it depends where everybody is in their ages, you know, with kids and whatnot. But um, you want to try to anticipate for your clients how their use of that house is going to change as the kids get older. If they're toddlers or they're really young, thinking about what when they're teenagers, what that's going to be like in the spaces that you're going to want to have, you know, at that time. And can they transform the spaces you're creating for them? And can they transform over time into different kinds of spaces as the family grows and gets older? And then maybe then they're going to be empty nesters and then maybe the kids are going to come back and there's going to be grandchildren. And how is how is all that going to be able to transform itself over time and, and be flexible? And so I think that's maybe as I'm getting older and trying to learn more about flexibility <laughs> and uh, and and to build that into into our houses and and to think about and to think for our clients, especially if they're maybe they're they're younger and they just have little kids and they're you know that they can't quite yet imagine what that's going to be and so you're trying to f- imagine for them and try to anticipate for them how things are going to evolve and how they're going to need to be able to have the house bend when you know when they needed to in certain ways. I mean, how do like practically speaking, how do you? How do you make something knowing it's like, are there certain things you consider like, okay, I need it to transition. Therefore, I, I mean, are there proportions or there, I don't know, like floor plans or things that you. Yeah, it's probably, I think it's probably mostly floor plan things, but thinking about what this space, you know, how it's going to be used now may change. And, or is there, is there a room that when they're teenagers, you know, and they want to have a hangout with their teenage friends and you don't privacy want to be right on top of them and they don't want you right on top of them. But, you know, how, mm-hmm. where is that going to be and what can that, you know, can this thing that's one thing now become something later mm-hmm. that's a little different? And, you know, that's the kind of thing you think about. And also how it's detailed and obviously uh, rooms, uh, rooms that have little kids are going to be, um, you know, need to be resilient in one way that, they don't need to be when they're all a little bit older. And mm-hmm. um, so you just try to anticipate those things. You know, there's something else that you said in the book um, that it's critical to build in ways for clients to form emotional attachments to their homes. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how you think about building in emotional attachments? Yeah, I think I'm of, to me, I think a lot of it comes from memory and, and maybe that's just because that's my own personal thing, you know, that I, it's kind of where I got started in, in working on houses is that it really, I was very tied to the, my own memories of houses and, and, and that was kind of how I got, how I started to think about any project. Um, and, and I've, I've had clients come to me often with, you know, there's, there was this house and sometimes literally there's a house in the book where we tore down a house, a family house, and they wanted to preserve certain things about it. So we saved the hardware. We actually recreated a new room with the old wood from the old house. Um, we saved mantles and things. And those were pulling those memories from the old house right into the new house so that there was a kind of emotional resonance to that. Um, and that feeling of like, okay, this is very connected to my history, you know, because I have these things are there, these these emblems of my past. You know, I had celebrated Christmas in this room with my mother or my grandmother, and now it's now it's our in our new house, and and we're carrying on that tradition. So I think I, I think that's 
one of the ways and then and then to make you I, I hope you're creating an architect is creating environments that people are making new memories you know with, as a family in a place and it's something that I just because of the way I reacted to the places I grew up in and around where they were all about experiences that resonated as a memory later and and um, so I thought well is there some way we can be tuned into that as an architect and whether it's just creating fun little um, nooks that, that a little kid will discover or or a garden that you wandered through and, and you had a kind of adventure in it just the things that later resonate and become sort of anchors for memories okay so this makes me totally curious now what are what are some things that you are emotionally attached to that you bring into each of your own personal homes well i think i mean i actually wrote about that a bit in my last book um just the certain different houses that i grew up in that had you know certain things about them that um became memory touchstones you know um i had a I had a grandmother had this funny how pink house in Georgia with had beautiful gardens and interesting outbuildings and things that that um, became uh, sources of adventure. <laughs> and uh, I, I, when I was a kid, we had a house um, in California on the beach, and it had uh, it was kind of a, like a funky surf shack kind of um, on the coast of California, and. Uh, the 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 living room windows were actually just a big glass garage door that rolled up onto the ceiling you know and opened up the whole room to to the ocean basically and and that was something that uh, i'd never experienced living in the northeast right where it's cold and you know half the time <laughs> and so uh that was just that that sense of connectivity to to the outside and how you can open up a room so that it's you, you the line between inside and outside is really blurred and those are just a, a couple examples i can think of off the top where just very personal memories were then tools to somehow create something in buildings for other people well it makes sense because it's like your memory of what home was is going to inform what how you you know what feels like home to you so if you yeah. you know it's a pink house or if it's a certain you know like I, th I think of certain uh, color combinations, you know, like uh, the green kitchen. My both my grandmother and my mom had green kitchens. Uh -huh. I, I don't. It wasn't conscious, but I was like, I think this green would look really good in this kitchen. <laughs> and, and you're in and a green room yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, true. I am. So it's like it's yeah, it's yeah. subconscious. But it's is it hard to get that out of your clients sometimes to yeah have them yeah. articulate it. You have to kind of ask them and, and not always, they're not always going to be very explicit about it. And then, you know, you, you either just kind of, you, you find it out or you, or you try to just create something that hopefully will be evocative, you know, as, as they live in it. Um, and it could be something simple like lining up doorways with a view at the end into something that, that it was on the plan and everybody looked at it, but nobody thought about it until they actually walked into the built house and saw that experience and and you know maybe that had that have made you feel something you know well i feel like the first the first project in this book the block island house yes. is just completely evocative of that i mean not only is there like this pink grand living room <laughs> but it opens up 
just to the landscape and mm-hmm. i mean just some subtle subtle styling things in the in the photos like the the windows are propped open i felt myself yeah. take in a deep breath just looking oh gosh, at that house yeah. and Gorgeous. taking in the sea air it was and amazing. miles red of course you know yes. you're gonna miles, love it yes. so he's miles doing his magic you yeah. know um and he'd worked with that client from a number of houses actually which was great because i was new i was the new boy on the team but um he uh he'd done a number of projects with them so he really knew them and knew what made them tick and um mm-hmm. so that was great um and then there's that there's that kind of entertaining barn on that same property and that was that was a case where can we make that building just open up to the to the view and so literally the the glass wall doors pocket into the wall so that it just becomes a giant opening to, to looking out to the sea and one side in the pool on the other side and and um that that sort of that idea just stunning I'm- oh my god yeah and and like so unfussy i mean not that I think Miles's work is fussy, but you know, it's it has a usually like sort of a dramatic it, well, quality to it. Very exuberant, yes. Yeah, and, and I think you know maybe the maybe sometimes it's. I working love when he dresses me, it down because you know maybe I'm pulling mm. him down a little bit from, uh, from the heights, <laughs> and maybe the client too, you know, because he's worked with them a lot and he knows what they really like and where mm-hmm. he can where he can pull out the stops and where you know it's got to be a little quieter. That color pink on the wall is just magical for yeah, some reason. It's pretty great. I, I had nothing to do with it, but it, but I thought it was wonderful. And there was a decorative painter who, I think what, what he did, Miles did, is he put grass cloth on the walls. And then this guy whose name I don't, I, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know, who, who was worked for him, who actually glazed over it with the pink. And so it's not a color. The glass, grass cloth didn't come in that color, but he wow. it had the texture then but then it had the color that he brought to it, which was great. I did love learning because, you know, I'm not a student of architecture, but do love houses, but I loved learning about um, like how you talked about siting the house and how um, it was in this, you know, this one in particular. And then there was also the one, um, the like English yes. uh, four square cottage right. in yeah. the um, Hudson sort of Valley. English country house-ish kind of house, yeah. I, it's interesting because I think it's something that like a normal person isn't really thinking about and how important the site is. Yes. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about that and I guess kind of how it changes what you can and can't do. For sure. Yeah. And I, I that that English style house was a prime example where the client came to us with this wonderful piece of farmland. It was sort of three farm fields kind of strung together up a hillside and of course when we first got there they marched us right up to the very top of the property and said you know ta-da look at the view and let's put the house here and um the wonderful landscape designer deborah nevins who was on the team she said well this is great but you can't put the house here (laughs) and and she convinced us that we needed to move it down the hill and and well why because you need to have a little bit of flat area to actually be able to walk out the doors of your house and not fall down the hill and also getting the driveway up to that very high spot would have used up all the beautiful meadows to have a switchback driveway which of course would have been impossible to plow and all that kind of thing so uh you know just we we had a we were very quickly schooled by her which i kind of knew instinctively because my own house in the Hudson Valley from years earlier, Debbie had worked on with me and she 
I had the same thing. I had this high spot. She's like, well, this is great, but she, you know, how are you going to get up here? And then there's nowhere to have a garden or anything. So, um, so I'd already learned that lesson, but the clients had to, had to sort of discover the logic of it. And, and then we created this wonderful place farther down that still had slope to it, which actually allowed us to do some interesting things with the garden. But, uh, it, it, you could actually walk out the doors <laughs> into some garden and be on level land, which is important. Do you think that's something for like important for anyone looking to build a new house? Like have you or an, have an architect come with them before they buy the lot? Cause it seems like. I think it can be good to do that if you can, or a landscape person or somebody, because a lot of people have come to me and they've, they, you know, they've shown me this beautiful field and it's tilted at a 45 degree angle. And they're like, ta-da. And you think, well, okay, but there's no way, you know, you're gonna have to build these huge retaining walls and kind of level cut it out and then fill it in. And it, it becomes a very expensive uh, thing to do. And, and so it is good to have somebody who understands contours, look at a land. And, and I found even myself, I'm fooled all the time that contours look much less steep to the eye than they are when you actually look at them on a topographic plan. And you realize that there's 10 feet of change between here and over here <laughs> that you have to put a retaining wall or something. You've got to get that, hold the land back. And, so yeah, I agree. I think you'd, it would help to have somebody, a professional, look at that with you. I loved, um, you were talking about that, uh, the English country house and um, on this sloped piece of land. And I loved what you were talking about where, you know, um, you sort of talked about like knitting style and material or using style mm -hmm. and material to knit two styles together. Like you, mm -hmm. you're, you're, maybe explain what you're talking about sure, yeah. more eloquently than well, what I'm doing. Did, these clients had lived in England and they came back to America. They were American and and they wanted this house to have a kind of Englishness to them, which I thought was kind of exciting. And they and they looked at all these great sort of Georgian Palladian country house models as models for this project. And those are generally made of stone and they're made of cut stone. And I thought, well, that's, that's great, but it might feel a little pretentious in this farm field and not feel like it belongs from the place. So that made me think, well, can we make this same kind of form, but make it out of something that feels more local, like local field stone. And so we used field stone for the, the walls, the stone walls of the house. And then I thought, well, it'd be nice to have some other bridge to the local vernacular and that, which is a lot of it is Greek revival in the Hudson Valley. And so we made all the detailing of the exterior sort of Greek revival influences, a Greek revival portico. And, and then the moldings have Greek revival shapes to them as just another way, a kind of very subliminal kind of way to say it's from this place, not, not England <laughs> at the same time that it has these English influences. Okay. I want to talk a little bit more about the details because it in this project and the project before and I mean in every project like the details matter and for the for the first two projects in this in this book I just want to say the stairways are divine like that's the first word that came to my came to my yeah. mind like they're just so gorgeous and then in this English country home the the stairwell that wraps around is I mean 
I don't know that I've seen this before, but it looks as if every stair is kind of boxed out and sculpted and then put in place. Yeah. Well, it's a very, it's actually a very English, you see it a lot in English houses Okay. where they're, they're made of stone blocks that cantilever out from the wall. And we weren't going to make the stair out of stone because it would be financially very expensive. So, but, we, but we, we followed that same model and we made them out of wood blocks that basically cantilever out and stack one on top of the other going up and around the curve. Um, so that's a very specific reference to those kind of English country house staircases, but we did it in wood. And then we made the, the, the sort of balusters and the handrail out of French polished mahogany. So it has a kind of, you know, gravitas and elegance to it. And then it has this, it's in this kind of oval shaped stair hall, which I thought would be really fun because it's kind of embedded in the middle of the house. Normally I like to get the stairs close to a window so that there's natural light coming from, from a wall, one of the walls of the house. But in a lot of these English country houses, the stairs are embedded, but then they're skylit. So we, we did that here where we made a skylight in the center. We put this, made the stair hall a kind of oval shape with a, with a skylight bringing light down from the top so that it's never dark. And then it, and then all the rooms kind of radiate out from this central space. And it's not a big house. It's a, I mean, you know, there, it's about mm, 4,000 square feet, four to 5,000 square feet, which, you know, and there's a lot of houses that are a lot bigger, um, that, that look grand like this. It has a kind of grandeur to it, but, but the smallness of it sort of makes it more real in a way and, and not so, um, overly formal. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, because you're doing that same thing again, where it's like the style is <clears throat> a certain, I guess, um, you know, traditional style, but of a different place. But you're mm-hmm. you're retranslating it here. And I, I feel like that's just such an important thing because to consider for anyone working on a new house project, because it's like you might love a Tuscan villa, but if you live in Atlanta, you're nowhere near the Mediterranean, you, you know, stucco is like not, it's, so how do you take what you like about it, but like translate it into a, a that just seems so smart and like, yeah. so, like, duh, but well, no, a I lot mean, of people think, don't do it. I mean, using Atlanta as an example, um, like the, the Swan House or one some of the great Schutze mm. houses, right, which were you know, he was making Tuscan villas, but then he, you go inside and it's almost like Georgian woodwork, you know? So mm-hmm. he, he found a way to kind of make it American at the same time that it was, you know, you, you go there and you're thinking of Italy and all those amazing buildings, but then, then he's bringing it around to something that's more familiar and more American inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a master at that. I think that sort of blending of those traditions in a way that, mm-hmm. that, Per- making um, it synthesizing those traditions and and he's yeah. a great you know he's a great person to study for that and we certainly do um yeah so well i because you know i think that's what makes it enduring i guess is that you never walk in and feel like oh this is random it feels right right you know, or, or gimmicky i'm always I'm yeah, like yeah. really allergic to gimmicks i i i and it, you know it can be fun like you have our, you know, as our, as designers, we all have our tricks up our sleeve, right? Of mm-hmm. things we can, we can do anything. Um, and I am always kind of self-disciplining myself a little bit to make sure that we're not doing something mm-hmm. that is gimmicky and trendy and it's cool today. But then in two years, you're going to be like, Oh, really? Did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, you want it to kind of last 
And, and that's why I, I think that you can, you know, have very classic bones and then do something completely other in the decoration because the decoration will evolve over time as, as it always mm-hmm. does. Um, but the bones kind of want to be something that will last. And, and I think you can hang very modern paintings on a classic interior. You can have very modern furniture. Um, and, or you can have very traditional in, uh, furniture and, and artwork in a traditional interior. I think it's quite versatile that way. So do you think that like, you know, we've all probably seen a house where we feel like, okay, this is not enduring. This is of a certain, you know, time that maybe we don't love anymore. Do you feel like restraint is what they were lacking or? Mm, I don't know. It's just a point of view. I mean, uh, I mean, I maybe uh, because that idea is, is, is inherently extravagant. Maybe if it's something mm-hmm. that's going to be up, unless it's so good of the moment that it is going to endure because it is, it is like the example of how amazing at that moment, somebody created a, a work of art that is going to stand the test of time just because it is so incredible. And, and there are plenty of examples of that. Mm-hmm. Great people, many of whom I've been, I'm sure have been on your podcast. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just, you have to be really skillful at it because you can also kind of blow it too right. if you're not careful. So, well, I ask because I feel like people are always asking us that, like, how do I pick something classic? How do I pick something that is really going to endure and I'm going to love for a long time? And it's, it's a really hard question to answer because like, it's different for everybody true, and true. taste is subjective. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's true. It is. I mean, I think you can, I mean, not that you want to have something old fashioned, but you can kind of whatever you're picking, look and see if it has a kind of, either it has classic proportions that, Mm -hmm. you know, are going to look good over time. If it's something that's maybe a little more contemporary, but there's something about the proportions that feel kind of classic and Mm -hmm. I don't know, or, or it's something that's, you know, a certain kind of like the, the Bridgewater club chair, you know, looks great uh, in a lot of different iterations. And it's also the way you can upholster it. You can upholster it in a very traditional way with ruffled skirt or, or very clean modern way where, where the, the upholstery kind of waterfalls right down to the floor without a lot of trim on it. So, you know, it's a classic that can transform. True. Yeah, there was one house in in this book. Um, it's in Connecticut. It's kind of classic. And then it's got all of the like Scandi modern elements in the home oh yes it's not in connecticut but oh, it, but the client grew up in connecticut okay and so we we um it was part of what we were trying to evoke for her was she it's actually out in long island and she she was desperate not to have some big overblown shingle style you know behemoth <laughs> um near the beach and uh she wanted something that really evoked more of her memories of uh, the wife, more of her memories of growing up in Connecticut, the kind of colonial revival houses that she knew from there. And so, uh, but their tastes are very, she and her husband, they're, they're great collectors. They have very uh, sophisticated and eclectic taste. And um, so again, it was more about creating this, these bones that could then be, transformed in a lot of different ways depending on and actually what's interesting about that couple is they redecorate all the time and you know the bones are kind of there but but the the layers on them change all the time which i think is kind of exciting and and fun it is so i mean 
unpredictable. I don't know. I kept like flipping yeah. through the pages and being like, wow, did not see that like <laughs> see that basement coming. coming <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, or just the color pa- it was it was fun. It was very yeah, playful, really which fun. I liked, but yeah. it was like, whoa. And, and adventure out of nowhere. And fearless. <laughs> Uh, yeah, kind of. and I I love that in a in a client. Um, sometimes you know they're more fearless than I am, and and uh, <laughs> uh, you have to kind of they kind of bring you along with that, which I think is always a fun thing about mm-hmm. you know a project that um, takes you someplace you haven't been before. Okay, so. here's here was the most delightfully bizarre project in the book, the boathouse. Okay. Yes. <laughs> was the, I mean that? Okay. You have to just tell everybody about this project because it sure. was so cool. The end result, but such an like strange, I guess, request yeah. from your client. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, they, they it's it's on a on on the, the sh- on a harbor in in a main classic main uh, coastal town. And um, it was it was a boathouse that was built in at the sort of early part of the 20th century for um, a guy who had a young, very wealthy guy who had built steam yachts, and he sort of built one after the other. And after his, I think after he his commissioned his third steam yacht, <laughs> he realized he needed uh, a, a building to put it in, in the winter. And then the steam yacht is about a hunt was about a hundred feet long. The, the, the third one, which was the beginning of this building. And, uh, and then he had a fourth after that. Um, but, uh, so there was this building that, that was about 150 feet long, tilted at an angle from the street, the town street down to the water's edge and a railroad track uh, that went from the water in the harbor up into the building and it and then they would attach chain they would get the boat onto this railroad track and they would have chains that would pull with donkeys or you know mules or something that would go in a circle and kind of pull with gears this huge boat into the building in the winters so it's kind of like the scale of the building is kind of amazing and uh, but then, you know, roll forward, you know, into the 20th century and it, it, you know, through the 20th century and it all kind of crumbled and, and was used for various boat, boat you know, the, the yacht was long gone by, that, by 1970 when it was practically falling down and somebody bought it to save it and landmarked it. And then it still kind of, it was landmarked, but it was still deteriorating. And my clients uh, who loved the town and loved the building said, you know, this is really cool. We should try to save this building. And, um, and, and so in so doing this said, okay, well, we have a, bo- a little boat by comparison, uh, that we could store in there. And then the rest of the space, let's figure out something interesting to do as a place to gather with people. And maybe it can be a little guest house and, you know, so <laughs> we, so we made this new building where a third or a third or a half of it has water coming into it as the original did with where the, a boat could park. And then the other half became a kind of like entertaining space and a, and a little guest cottage. Um, and it became a place um, that from a decorating standpoint was sort of like a cabinet of curiosities where these people who travel a lot, their, their books and their things that they've collected kind of came into this building, uh, into the parts that were not on the water or in the water. Um, and and then we sort of have this big so there's a very kind of cathedral like space inside and and at the end of it is a glass and steel wall and then you look into the boat basin beyond it that's still in the building 
Um, and so the boat can be in there <laughs> with you, but this glass wall keeps the elements out. And uh, it's a it's a it's a completely nutty, amazing it's project so cool. that I'll never probably ever do again. But <laughs> but you know, was so excited to have the challenge. I mean, incredible the, the giant glass wall that looks from the interior into the boathouse is the best and largest cabinet of curiosities I've ever seen in a home. Yes. And like an art, I mean, it's like an art installation. It is. Yeah. It's it yeah. is so cool. I mean, just, and well, I also just love the way that it was decorated because, you know, something of that scale and with the, with the boat and the glass wall, like it could feel very, um, cold i would think but it's it doesn't at all and it just is oh my gosh like it's is it a, it needs to be like a hotel like a because <laughs> well it's i mean so i cool. think part of that was that we when in in the process of it's a landmark building so we had to restore it back to the way it was originally designed and we wanted to preserve as much of the original old wood and then what we you know what more we needed would need to be also reclaimed old wood so the entire interior is all old reclaimed wood so it has that warmth from the wood even though there's also some concrete walls at the part where it's going down into the water and um so it has some it has that warmth to it and then of course there's upholstered furniture and we made rugs for the space and um so it was it was fun a was there fun. ever a point where you were like this might not work or were you were hesitant i mean I, at the beginning i was terrified about how are you building a building that's going to be half water halfway into it you know and trying to protect the other part that mm -hmm. needed to not be moist all the time that part scared me and there's the scale of it it was when i first went they brought me to it it was it was just so large and tall and i thought oh my god mm -hmm. this is a big project well because yeah if it's a living space like there's it's not comfortable for it to be so big so mm -hmm. you know i imagine that was a challenge like how do you make this feel yeah well that's why we made like the two we a, yeah. made a, the big grand room on the lower level and then there's a, a sort of cozy mezzanine on the upper level where the guest room is and such so that you could have that really cozy space around a fire mm -hmm. and then when when the, when the situation called for it there's a much grander kind of experience by going down down the down the steps and into this big kind of cathedral-like space. So cool. So <laughs> cool. Um, I'm, I'm curious if, uh, like, what you have, what what is on your horizon? I mean, you, you've had this third book. What <laughs> yes. are, you know, because you have such a vast, like, array of projects in this book. I mean, we haven't touched on so many of them that were gorgeous, but what, what is going to be exciting for you next? Because you have so many cool things under your belt. Um, well, just continuing to work uh, all over the place is really fun. Um, and to work on things we haven't done before. I always say that if a project scares me a little bit at the outset, when the client tells me what they want to do, that that's a good thing because it means you're challenged in a way that getting married to someone with teenagers was so scary <laughs> at the beginning. Um, uh, and uh, so there's that. And then also I have um, two new partners um, who joined the, uh, their firm to mine. They were actually my two of my very first employees 20 years ago, uh, Amy and Kevin Busolato. And um, they've come back here to New York. I've convinced them to come back to New York. Uh, and um, and so that's really exciting because it's always 
when you work with um, young people, <laughs> younger people than yourself with hopefully new, fresh ideas that that I think enlivens your practice too, in really wonderful ways. So plus, we're old, we've always been friends, and we're old friends, and we've worked together at the beginning and shaped the culture of the company together. And um, so that's, that's super exciting. And I think we just hope to keep doing what we're doing. But also, maybe who knows, maybe they will, they will take the company in interesting new directions that I haven't thought of, or or, you know, it's not my first inclination, but they they will have ideas about what we're going to do next. <laughs> okay, I was just looking back at my notes and realized I skipped some things that I wanted to talk about. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's so much to there talk so about. There's so many, I, mean, seriously, I know. This is... <laughs> okay, well, I wanted to, you, we kind of talked about the landscape architecture a little bit when you were talking yes. about um, Deb, uh, Deb, Debbie Nevin. Yes. Huh? And... Um, you were talking about how it's so important to do the landscape architecture at the same time you're doing the architecture. And I was curious, you know, cause we, we do have um, listeners who will write in about I'm building a house and, you know, I have this particular question. So maybe you could make the case to them and why <laughs> it's important and not waiting to address the landscape down the road. Sure. I mean, well, yeah, I, I think it's so important because I, I guess because of the way I always think about house it the rooms the way they extend out into the garden and if you don't think about that at the beginning it may not be successful later you know if you try to think figure it out later and it may change the way you think about the the rooms that you're you're making inside you know because of the way it's going to react to the garden outside or the way the site it's going to knit into the site so i i'm a really strong advocate for for getting thinking about your landscape at the start because and that english house that we english style house that we talked about a few minutes ago that if we didn't think about the landscape at the beginning it would have been a complete failure i mean it would not have sung at all because the the landscape was almost like architecture out in outside you know that the way the hedges were sculpted and the way the little outbuildings were framing certain moments and uh, it just would have been a big failure if we didn't say we have to do the landscape at the beginning and think about it and carry it all the way through. Um, so I, I just, I've always, I just thought about it as an extension of the inside to the outside and the room, the rooms inside aren't really complete without what's going to happen outside of those doors or windows that you're looking out from and walking out. It makes so much sense. It's like, how could you cook something without knowing like what you're serving it with. Like it's, yeah. you have to think holistically or yeah. else it's going right. to be. Or, yeah. or when you lay Maybe it all on the plate, it's all the same color. You know, it's like mm. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And then here's the other thing that I thought was so interesting and I would have never thought about, but you were talking about that English country house where <clears throat> all of the rooms sort of open up onto the staircase and how you usually try to kind of create like a vestibule for private spaces. Can you explain that and why sure. it's important and something you try to incorporate with your homes? Yeah. And I'm with bedrooms uh, in particular. Um, if, if we can, we like to try to arrange the plan in such a way that you don't come from say the hallway that you use to get to the bedroom open the door from the hallway and you're right in where the, the room where the bed is. We'd love to have that little layer 
And sometimes it's where we put the closets or it's, you walk past the bath. And it's a little bit like what they do in hotels, which sounds horrible, but because um, that's not our model. But, but there's the sense of there's a little bit of a layer between the public hall and the private, the most private space of the bedroom that just is a, is a buffer. And it just gives you that feeling of when you're in the bedroom, like it feels cozy and secure and, and private and quiet. Um, it's also, an, it's a great acoustic thing because it gives you that extra layer to make it quiet when you're, when you're in the bedroom, when you want to sleep. Um, so we try to generally do that whenever we can with our bedrooms because it, it just is nicer. It's okay. I didn't realize this until reading the book, but I was like, oh, they did this. That is like two of our three bedrooms are done that way in my house. And I was like, it's wow. I didn't really think about it, but it really does make it feel better. It's like you feel more, uh, well, I don't know how to describe it, but you're right. It, it like affects it's the acoustics. Cozier, it's yeah. more private. It just feels like, I don't know. And that's something I could have never named, but it does make such a difference, especially, you know, like if you're entertaining, for example, and someone's looking for the bathroom yes or you know you have house guests you're like oh i'm more i guess yeah no uh, it's not and the same thing with a powder room. you can if you can somehow put a first of all you don't put the powder room right off the dining room <laughs> ever do that you know get it a, uh, you know some steps away from that so there's just that little layer of extra privacy and then if you can if you can maybe walk through a vestibule that might have the coat closet as part of it and then the bathroom it just mm -hmm. it's a little quieter it's a, just a little more private you know and you come out of the bathroom and you kind of yeah make sure yeah. my pull together and then you can <laughs> you know see everybody else at dinner you know it's just it's just that little little thing that just makes the, the experience of being mm -hmm. in the house a little more comfortable and gracious see this is why our, you know everybody needs an architect because <laughs> well I mean, you, I, yeah, you know, but, but I think if you know these, these principles, you can mm -hmm. kind of, you know, you can, you don't necessarily be an architect. But, but well, I just think like if helps. I were to ever build a house, I would be like, okay, that vestibule thing, that is so clever. That would have to be on my list yeah. of things because and not every smart. plan gives you the luxury of, mm -hmm. of space. And in fact, even in, in that English house, we had that challenge where the bedrooms didn't always have the advantage of, because it's quite a compact plan. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of the bedrooms actually you do enter off the hall. Um, but the master bedroom, we kind of gave a little, a little uh, gallery and then the bedroom just to kind of mm -hmm. you know, give it that little bit of separation. Yeah. Well, there were so many little nuggets throughout the book like that. I mean, that it was impossible to like, note them all but and i mean just the decor I, I don't know i just think everyone needs this book because the insight and the writing and just with the pictures it's just it's spectacular and it really is <laughs> and you know for our listeners we got we got an advanced pdf copy i think caroline and i are both going out and buying this book as soon as possible because mm -hmm. it's just it's, i have to have the hard copy we have yeah this is one where you need the hard copy it's pretty oh. amazing we do have a decorating dilemma. Yes. If you don't mind. Absolutely. Us. Um, it's a long one. So I buckle up everybody, but I think <laughs> it's going to be worth it. So 
So, okay, it comes from Gloria, and she says, Hi, Ballard team. I've been a longtime listener of your podcast. I could really use your ideas. This year, we plan to finally tackle our primary bedroom and bathroom. We have a kitchen and bath design company locally that will help us with the bathroom. But in order to invest in finishes there, I need to figure out the bedroom largely on my own. But that's where I need your help. We've made a few changes over the last 10 years, and I feel stuck on a plan for the space. The two rooms will eventually be separated by pocket doors. They're currently in the wall and original to the house, but non-functional due to poor construction before we moved in. I'd love for the rooms to feel like a cohesive space and also want to be able to close off the bedroom. The sitting area is an office space and where I watch TV, fold laundry, read. The things I love about the space, the sitting room rug, it's antique, one of my favorites, the bedding, um, the bed, my gallery wall, and the dark walls. We love a dark wall color. It was lighter before, but the space felt cavernous. The dark walls feel cozy. Things that I would love to change. Curtains. We've had white roller blinds since we moved in 10 years ago. Haven't had a plan worth investing in. The electronic storage. Oh gosh, jumble of cords and screens. I think that's a challenge for everybody. The odd nook area. We have no idea why it's built like this. We assume it's part of the bad renovation that was done before we moved in. The dresser holds office supplies and off-season clothing. Ideally, the carpet um, she wants to change. It's cheap, builder grade, nothing special. Um, It was poorly installed. The green chairs, um, the layout of the sitting room, other information that may be helpful. The spaces are generously sized. The sitting room is about 14 by 14. The bedroom is 11 by 14. The ceilings are about 11 feet. I have a pretty traditional style, but my husband prefers a more modern look. Other than the bed and the rug, the rest of the furniture is a hodgepodge and things we can part with. Um, Thank you in advance for your ideas. (laughs) So she has a a generous vestibule into her bedroom, Mm -hmm. it looks like. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) which is great. And I like the kind of smoky gray color. Mm -hmm. Uh, It feel very cozy. And actually it did something wonderful with it. It sort of highlighted the rug, uh, the antique uh, mm-hmm. carpet that she had that was I don't know, kind of wonderful. And I agree with her that the curtains uh, would be great. And and I, as I looked through the pictures, I thought, well, the, the ceilings are quite tall in the mm-hmm. room and the windows don't go all the way up near the ceiling. So I thought, well, maybe if you had, if you hung your curtains on a rod, you could mount the rod quite high and let the you know let the panels drop to the floor, which kind of lead you know capitalize on the height of the room and sort of lead your eye up a little bit, which mm-hmm. I thought could be nice. And I would I would still keep the the some either the roller blind she has or something like that, because I always like those extra layers. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you know you want one or the other um, or both. the uh, the The nook area in the sitting room that right now has has a chest in the middle of it and then just stuff on either side. I and I don't know if this is in the budget, but if it were, I would almost build a built-in all the way across the mm-hmm. whole width of it. And that would allow for the lamps. Right now, the lamps are kind of clustered on the chest of drawers in the middle, and the TV is kind of quite high to mm-hmm. clear the lamps. But if you could get the lamps farther left and right on some kind of built in that would go all the way across then the tv could actually come down and be a much more comfortable viewing height when you're sitting across the room on Mm -hmm. the chairs or whatever i wondered whether actually if that it looked like that's a place where they watch tv and wouldn't that be nice if they could get a little sofa in there instead of maybe maybe keep one of the the green velvet chairs 
that are sort mm-hmm. of Louis <laughs> Louis ish, um, uh, but maybe slipcover them. That might maybe that would appeal to the husband's sense of modern. If just just a kind of clean mm-hmm. white off white kind of slipcover on them, because it looked like they both use this room as an office too. Each has a desk. And what else did I? wanted to say oh the electronic storage that is that is really hard one the only thing i could think of was maybe a little folding screen that you know came up a certain height that that could be sort of a little bit around Mm, his desk area that you know you could fold back when you wanted the room to feel more open but you could kind of close it off a little bit when he you know his has all his stuff and his desk is quite neat for this, for the picture she took, but I, I, if it's anything like mine, it's a total disaster most of the time with papers stacked all over the place. So it might be nice to be able to just kind of, you know, obscure your view of that when you're sitting there, you know, watching. Could she? <laughs> could she? What is your thought on like a built-in desk? But I mean, then you're facing well, a wall. But is, do you think that? Yeah, I, I wondered whether he his desk is wonderfully next to the window, and I know if that's where I would mm, put it if yeah. I were him. But but uh, the other thing is to that long that long counter I was talking about could be a built-in in the middle, you know, with a knee hole in the middle maybe, and yeah. uh, lamps to the side. That that would be one way. But then you'd be kind of looking at the wall, and maybe you don't want to do that. I don't know. Yeah. That is such a dilemma, right? It's like you want a floating desk, but then where do you, you got your different monitors, you got your cords. I know. It's like, there's no, there's no good answer. It's hard. I mean, they do make those wonderful things that kind of wrap your cords, mm-hmm. you know, pull them together and wrap them. I've, you see them on advertising Instagram and things like that. And that might be one way to kind of, you know, at least kind of wrangle them into some manageable thing, right. but, but you're still kind of looking at the back of electronics. Yeah. Sorry, Gloria, we can't help you there. <laughs> but it was it's a great space. And I, I mean, there's wonderful scale to the height of the rooms. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I wouldn't change the gallery wall at all. I would just, I, you know, no, no reason to. And then, you know, it didn't look like they really hung anything on their walls in the bedroom yet. Maybe once you get the curtains up, it'll start to give scale and you'll they'll think about where they want to hang things on those walls in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't change the 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 linens or anything like that and then in terms of the carpet uh, i i don't know personally and i don't know if this is everyone's bag but i love just sizal as as an underlayer to antique carpets because it's neutral mm-hmm. and it has a texture to it so it it does something interesting without being you know too interesting and then it's a it's a great backdrop for for old rugs on top yeah and it's flatter so it it mm-hmm. exactly. feels better under a yeah. area rug and actually yeah. jute is even better than sizal because it's soft on your feet your bare mm-hmm. feet whereas sizals can be a little scratchy sometimes yeah yeah that's a great a great idea i feel, i wonder if just like a pattern curtain could kind of mm. help tie like her wall color to her rugs even oh, more sure. you know? yeah i wasn't even no, thinking about great. what fabric it was but yes i think yeah having something oh. in the in mm-hmm. the curtain fabric would be great for that um and and just but just getting them up higher, yeah. so the rod up higher, so that you you kind of capitalize on the height of the room and draw your eye up. I mean, I feel like she's further along than she thinks. It's yeah. This she is, this, I thought this was this was the the after, not the before. So I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of the built-ins in that little nook. It'll just look a little bit more intentional. And yeah, some really big scaled lamps. Mm-hmm. That would be really really pretty. And she could even hang some more art around the television. 
Oh, abs uh, oh absolutely. Yeah. And, um, David Netto, who I know you had on as, as a mm -hmm. guest not too long he ago, did, yeah. he, um, he and I did a project once where he had a big TV and then he hung art all around it. And it just became another thing of art you know, in mm -hmm. a way. And it was great because you don't think, oh, God, there's a wall with a TV. You just think of there's a wall with interesting things on it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Gloria, thank you for listening. Thank best you, of Gloria. Luck, best of luck in your renovation. And um, send us after photos. Definitely. Gil, thank you so much. My pleasure. Can you tell everyone where they can find you and follow you? Sure. Well, our website, um, <laughs> which is a mouthful now, SchaeferBusilato.com. Uh, <laughs> and I think if you just Google Schaefer, probably it'll fill it in. Instagram, Schaefer Busilato, at Schaefer Busilato. And uh, also my own Instagram is uh, at Gil Schaefer, the architect. And I'm, I'm kind of a hope, hopelessly terrible Instagrammer. <laughs> I never get to it, so forgive me. Yeah, and the book is called Home at Last, and I think it comes out at the end of February. So It's gorgeous. So thank you for sharing it with us and letting us get a sneak peek and chatting with us about it. I love it. I love talking to you guys. <laughs> Thank Such a treat. you. Next time we're in New York, we would love to to see you in person since we I got to it. last time and we're virtual this come, time. Come to the office and see meet meet the crew. That'd be great. All right. Well, thank you so much. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy, happy decorating! decorating.